We have been uh, going through the epistle to the Ephesians, and um, we're wrapping up today. This is part six, and so I'm going to jump right in. And um, I want to I just share, as you recall, last week, Jason opened up the scripture in the previous chapter to see how Paul is calling us into a completely new way of living, the way of Christ, the way of love. And it's not just a feeling, but a radical lifestyle that mirrors God's kingdom show through, shown through Christ. He's the one who has all power and uses that power to redeem us. And he did that by becoming a servant and dying for us, literally laying down his life. And Paul's saying, we now continue in this new culture of heaven by living out our lives on earth according to his character and example. We put off our old self, Paul says, and we put on our new self. We put on Christ. He's using this language that we can put off how we used to think. Remember, that's the, that's the Gentiles, and we're all Gentiles, uh, in the darkness of our thinking, and put on the new self, which is Christ. We submit ourselves to God and to one another. And then he begins to list then how that happens. And he's continuing that thought right here in Ephesians 6. This new power structure that happens through Christ is love shown through submission to Christ and mutual submission to one another. Did you catch that? The kingdom of heaven, he brings this new power structure, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And what kind of disciples do we make? We make the kind of disciples that submit to God and to one another in the teachings and the lifestyle of Christ. And, and, and we saw in the last chapter where he says, imitate Christ. Jason made a great point that God doesn't value the authentic you in the way the world says to value the authentic you. The authentic you died in Christ to even get started. And now we imitate Christ and the true you can only live and breathe and have its being in Christ. So when we look for our true authentic self, our true authentic self is like Christ. And anything else is just a cheap imitation. A minor deity of your own design. Your own attempt at being your own savior. So we are invited into this new kingdom. And, and what's amazing about this is that, by the way, God loves the diversity of how he made his body. You are carrying gifts. You are unique. You're beautiful. You can turn to your neighbor and be like, you are beautiful. But we only find our purpose and our true self in the body of Christ as the body of Christ imitating Christ. Amen? And so Paul continues to validate that no matter what your current station is in life, and he's speaking to the Ephesians who are living in a Roman-ruled world at this time. They are under the control of a kingdom, and that kingdom is Rome. They are under the control of, of Caesar and the government of that time. And Paul's speaking to them, and he's saying, no matter what your current station is in life, you are free. You are free to submit to Christ's kingdom, and, it's and, you, and what you are, where you are is valuable, and it's unto God because you belong to God. So no matter where you find yourself, whatever you do, it matters and it counts in the kingdom as you do it unto God. 
Amen? So he's validating everybody in that, and then he's breaking it down. So, um, so Ephesians 6 then continues because he was just listing it. And last week we saw, you know, husbands are submitting to wives, wives are submitting to husbands, um, people are submitting one to another, and it's all happening in Christ. And Paul starts drilling down. And, it, and at a glance for us living in 2019 and in, in Western country that has actually been absolutely shaped and formed by Judeo-Christian values, whether you know that or not, we stand in this current moment enjoying myriad kingdom attributes and benefits, whether we don't even know about it or not, you stand in that. And when we read these other things, it's sort of like, oh, why would you say it like that? But that's because you're seeing it through your cultural lens of this moment. You've inherited a whole bunch of things that you may not be really aware of. And we look backward and we actually can sometimes find ourselves sort of criticizing some of the scriptures of like, oh, Paul, you should have said that better. Well, you and I need to remember that the Bible is 66 books written over a huge span of time in different genres from different authors talking about the revelation of God and his kingdom that has been unfolding and was kept a mystery until Christ came and revealed it to us. So it's not a simple book, guys. All right? It's not a simple book. It's not just like, see Jack, or what is it? See Dick run. See Dick jump. Jane likes Dick. (laughs) It's a little more complicated than that. There's context that has to happen. We have to actually dig into this. And by the way, the scriptures are living and breathing a two-edged sword that actually cuts down to the very motivations of our heart. So this, this baby is alive and amazing, but it is not simple. It is not easy. Are you with me? Some of you need to feel relieved right now because you've been expecting reading the Bible to be really, really easy, and it's actually not. And you get to be relieved, be like, oh, good, because I thought everybody else was just like, wow, this is so easy. No, it's not. It actually requires you to change your entire life the way that you think and turn into someone who imitates Christ in all that you're doing and challenges the status quo and makes you a prophetic voice and checks on the motivations of your heart while you're doing it. So... Be, be encouraged. Be relieved. Give yourself a high five. You're sticking with it. Good job. Yeah. And we're in here today working on this together. We're working this out, right? What does it say? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling before the Lord. Why? Because it's hard. It's doable, but it's hard, right? Anything worth doing, it's going to take some effort. But we're in it, okay? We're in it. So Paul is speaking in a certain context in a certain time, and that time and context is during Rome. The churches are beginning to be planted. He's an apostle to the, to the, to the Gentiles, and he's planting churches all over, and he goes, and he's saying, okay, now in light of who Christ is, and in light of his kingdom coming, and in light of that we're to make disciples of all nations, here's how you need to live right now in this moment, regardless of the fact that you do not live in a democracy in America, in 2019, but you live in Rome, okay? And here's how the kingdom is going, to, is going to unfold now. And God, of course, is such a multitasker. There's a prophetic voice that goes out to us today that applies right now, doesn't it? So here's what we're dealing with. So then he starts breaking it down and he says, okay, let's talk about this power structure. Let's talk about this kingdom. And he starts laying it out as we saw last week, deals with wives and husbands and so on and so forth. And then he goes on, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Amen. It just goes better with you when you listen to mom and dad. I mean, not only just in the immediate, like, you know, 
not getting a spanking in that very moment, but also in the overall picture that God is saying, listen, children, you have, you also matter in the kingdom of heaven. By the way, in Rome at that time, until a father acknowledged his child, that child did not exist yet. So you could still legally kill that kid if you wanted to. It's true. If the kid was deformed, it was quite common to just toss that one out and have a new one. So there, were, this was, there, was, there was room for you to not value your children. Much like today, we can still abort our children if they're inconvenient. Um, but back in Rome, they were a little more progressive than we are. You could actually have them out of the mom and you could still abort them. And here's the kingdom radically coming in and saying, children, you matter. I'm writing to you right now and telling you, obey your parents, honor them. And by the way, as you do that, it's as we are all children of God, when we honor our father, it goes well with us and we live long in the land. Amen? So he's actually validating children, saying, hey, you know what? You do matter in the kingdom. Your father sees you. It's pretty amazing. And then he says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now he's speaking to the people, by the way, the fathers, that have all the juice. And he's saying to them, hey, fathers, you need to raise your children because in such a way as remembering that you have a father. How's your dad treating you? Your dad sent Jesus to come and rescue you. Your dad tells you all things. Your dad teaches you all things. Your dad is rich in love, and, and uh, he's rich in love, and he's slow to anger, and he's filled with mercy. Fathers, I want, you to, I want you to parent your children the same way. So he's calling us to imitate Christ. Are you guys with me? Then he goes into bond servants. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. With a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers. Am I talking too fast? <sighs> I'm going to take your laughter as a slight yes. But as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Now, first of all, when you and I as Americans read bondservant, and in some of the translations it says slaves, and those are, those are sort of interchangeable, we, from our 2019 American history, we look at slavery and we go, Paul, what are you doing even like, why aren't you just crying out for some freedom? Like, hey, bond, hey slaves, overthrow your masters, for this is good and right in the Lord because no one should be enslaved. You know, we're thinking, Paul, you're bringing the heat on everyone. Why don't you bring heat on this? Well, there's a couple things I want to I wanna talk to you and address in this culture. First of all, bonds, a bond servant is someone who had to sell themselves into becoming someone's slave in order to work off their debt until they could purchase their freedom. So these bond servants were literally a servant until they had paid their bond. They had essentially gone bankrupt at some point. Something came up and they said, they went to someone who had wealth and said, listen, I'm gonna sell myself to you for the next seven years. Well, I would ask you like, hey, what's it gonna cost? How many years am I gonna have to work for you in order for you to pay this debt for me that I can't pay? And we'd strike a deal and then I would sell myself and my whole family to you and you would clothe me and feed me and I would work for you until I paid off my bond. So this was a very normal form of servanthood, a form of getting out of bankruptcy in the world at that time. Now, there's a key difference between American slavery, which was, uh, you know, and specifically for us, we mostly think of, there were other slaves other than Africans, but we mostly speak of the absolute horrific thing that happened in the West and that America was founded. It's an embarrassing and dark and terrible part of our history that we enslaved Africans primarily and made them work for our good as a nation 
And most of the nation agreed with that for a time, okay? And, and as we worked through that, we did eventually abolish slavery, praise be to God. But during that ideological war, as it were, over this, you had both sides using these scriptures to justify what they were doing. And this was one of those scriptures where people who were pro-slavery would say, well, Paul says, slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, and it's unto the Lord. And don't worry, when we get to heaven, you'll have your reward. But in the meantime, you were just born a slave. That's just what God wanted. So just glorify him in it and be cool with it. And, you know, masters, make sure and be nice. It's fine. And so, so, but on the other hand, you had the same people I'm sorry, you had uh, other believers that are reading the same scriptures and they're going, wait a minute, that is not what this says. And they're absolutely right. Number one, these are bond servants. So this is a specific kind of slavery, as it were. And really, we probably shouldn't call it slavery, although they were essentially a slave, but they were working off a debt and they could be free. And Paul is saying to these guys, listen, so you have, and he's, by the way, he's writing this to the Ephesian Christians. So he's saying bond servants that are in Christ you need to still work off your debt. And you need to do it in such a way that it glorifies God. I'm not telling you to overthrow your masters. I'm telling you to serve them as though you're serving the Lord. And to do it not just when they're looking, but when they're not looking. And know this, in Christ, everything that you're doing right now also counts unto the Lord. And he will reward you according to your work. So he's validating an entire class of people that are essentially bankrupted and absolutely treated as slaves who do not have freedom. And he's saying, but in Christ, you are free. In Christ, you have value. In Christ, even working off your debt matters and he will reward you for that. And I want you to demonstrate that in the way that you do this. Are you guys with me? Now, at the same time, this was not a great practice. And as you guys know, right, we don't have debtor's prison anymore. You guys, does anybody here know what debtor's prison is? It's basically the same thing. You could literally be sold and you had to go work like down at the salt mine until you worked off your debt. We don't do that anymore. Why? Actually, because of Judeo-Christian values that have come down and abolished such practices. But at this time, why didn't Paul speak to that? Why didn't he cast those things off? Well, one of those things was that it's not permanent. The second part is, is that, that Paul is speaking to them in the context of Rome. And he has a small church of a few hundred people that are just starting to follow the Lord. And they're across all kinds of different demographics of, 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 of uh, status. You've got wealthy. Well, even here, you've got the bond servants and you've got the masters. And he's speaking to all of them. And he is having to apply the kingdom of heaven in a time and a space and, and say, okay, here's what the kingdom looks like. Here's how you're going to demonstrate a contrast culture where masters and bondservants sit in this room and love each other like Christ loves you. Where children and parents sit in this room and love each other like Christ loves you. Are you seeing that? Where men and women, and this is a huge one too, because it was a full-on man's world, okay? If you were born with the right plumbing, that just made you the smartest boss in the room. And that was just the accepted way. Sexism, absolutely pandemic. Women were considered more uh, property than people. And here's the kingdom coming in and he's saying, I want you to submit one to another and love one another as much as Christ loves you. And here's what it looks like living it out. This is revolutionary talk. Are you guys receiving this? And we're living that out to this day, that we're actually coming in. Some of you make way, way, way more money than other people, and you're not looking over and being like, well, I'm obviously more righteous than you. 
No, we're absolutely sons and daughters. Some of you make way, way, way less money, and it's not like, well, it's just because I'm dumber than a box of rocks. You just are where you are. And in Christ, we are all brothers and sisters. Are you with me? It's revolutionary. Classism does not exist in the family of Christ. So he's calling us to this, to the point where he's speaking to the bondservants about that. Now, this is hard for us to perceive as we look through our cultural glasses in 2019, having been born into a society that has inherited thousands of years of progress by Christ through his people, as well as those outside of the kingdom. People have responded to the truth of the kingdom, even though they haven't responded to the truth. Amen? Now, this progress was brought on into the world from the very things that Paul is speaking of in this chapter. And the irony is that those who have inherited these freedoms are prone to criticize the scriptures because the scriptures didn't say it in an explicit way in the day that they were written. Did you catch this? And, it can, and now, now, now it can be said explicitly in a nation that has freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and freedom from oppression. Yet these are hard-fought freedoms handed down from God through Christ and worked out through history by his people responding to Jesus' life and teachings to love God and love our neighbor. Those who don't understand history shake their tiny fists at God and declare him unjust and his scriptures untrustworthy while standing on a foundation laid by Christ and living in a free society shaped by his gospel and demonstrated by his people faithfully living as he lives. You see that? And, 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 and here's the thing. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. What I'm trying to say is that we have inherited so much from the revolutionary teachings of Jesus Christ. And the way that revolution works is what we're talking about right now. If Paul had called for them to go, like basically he's like, fight the power. Get in there and tell them like slavery's done. They would have just been absolutely obliterated. There was only a few hundred of them at the time. I mean, the church was just starting to grow. And that was not what God had called them to do. As you guys recall, remember when the disciples grabbed a sword and Jesus is like, put it down. That's not how we're doing this. Remember? He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a little bit of yeast. It's like a little bit of salt. It's like light. And look at where we are now today. Two billion Christians at this time. We have to take the kingdom and the scriptures in the context that they're given. Amen? So he continues. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Again, totally revolutionary. He's coming in and saying, hey, masters, so you got all the juice. Okay. He's telling masters, you don't own anyone. God is your master. He owns everyone. In fact, you will answer to me. Are you living as I've lived? I laid my life down for you. So Paul's telling him, like, here's God speaking to you. He laid his life down for you. Are you laying your life down for your bondservants? Are you seeking their well-being and seeking to see them set free? I came to set captives free. How about you? This is pretty huge, isn't it? Jesus said, I came to set the captives free. Kind of hard to be a slave master and listen to the gospel of God who said that Moses, getting the Israelites out of the slavery of Egypt, which spoke of sin and slavery, and he set the slaves free, pretty hard to stay a master for very long. 
at that point. Amen? So do the scriptures preach slavery? No, in fact, they do not. But we're the, but we're the, we're the, we're the writers of this able to, to give the, the, um, the same speeches that we got to hear by like Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. No, no, not in that same way because the context was to say this, the kingdom is growing little by little. The kingdom is continuing to grow. Here's how you will live that the gospel will continue to move forward. But they looked forward to that day. Are you with me? And in fact, if you look at the hall of faith, you guys, it says that they died having not seen the promises that God gave them, and yet they looked forward to a city whose builders were not human hands, but God. And we got to hold on to that, all right? So we're living in this day, having seen the kingdom expand, but don't give in to that accusation of the enemy and of our culture who seems to believe that the enlightenment just sprung up out of nowhere because people were just tired of being dumb. These were hard-fought parts of God expanding his kingdom. Are you with me? The miracle is that we're even here. All right, so he continues. Masters, do the same. So these are just, I just, I just am excited, right? This is revolutionary teaching that Paul's bringing, and we're still hearing it and feeling it and, and, and inheriting the effects of these words today. Amen? So then he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the opposing political party. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the social media of Hollywood. Oh, I'm sorry, that was my own tangent. That's not what it says. It says to stand against the schemes of the devil. He immediately then says, listen, the power structures that you see They will be affected by the kingdom and they must be affected by the kingdom. But don't misunderstand who your enemy is. Are you with me? He says you need to understand who you're against. You are against the schemes of the evil one, the devil himself. I want you guys to hear something this morning. I think it's important that we hear this this morning. I think it's important that we keep this in mind. You have an enemy. Do you understand that? Like, I think we kind of understand that, but I think we live a lot of times like we don't have an enemy. You know what I'm saying? Like, we do live, oh man, I don't know, I can't, okay, there's a particular movie, and if you've seen it, then you're going to know what I'm talking about. But there's a great line in it, and it says the best thing, the best trick the devil ever played was to convince the world that he didn't exist. And most of us living in a very humanistic, material world, meaning most people are materialists, most of our guiding philosophers are full-on materialists. They only believe in, an, in a non-supernatural world. They believe only in a natural world. Everything's natural. So there's no room for an enemy. So when something is going wrong, the tendency is to just be like, what have you been eating lately? <laughs> You know what, like it's all natural. And that's appropriate by the way. Like it is important for us to say, what, what have I been eating lately? Like, am I getting enough sleep, exercise? Am I eating the right things? Like don't stop doing it. Don't be dumb just because we're supernatural. Okay, so keep doing those good things. However, you also have an enemy. And this is a huge part of us being in the kingdom. We have all these 
promises and we have all of these, this purpose and we've been called into a family. We've been called into the body of Christ. We've been called with this incredible vision of God to redeem and restore all things. But part of that call is to destroy the works of the devil who's our enemy and he hates you. And many of us are just kind of like cruising along. We're just like, I don't understand why I can't, I don't understand why I can't get going good. I said, and you don't realize, you come home and you're like, I don't know, I feel really bruised up and beat up and I don't understand. And you're like, well, you got punched in the face like nine times by the devil today. And you stood there and took it like a dummy. You didn't do anything. You're just like, I don't understand. Always and you're just getting whooped. And you come home and you're like, nothing works. Well, you have an enemy. You are not a passive little lemming that just, do you get this? Like, you have something to contribute. You are a warrior in God to destroy the devil, not your neighbor, not the other party, the devil and his ridiculous philosophies and teachings. Do you get this? And you do it through obedience unto Christ. Like, right now, you might not realize it, but you're doing something that is prophetic and absolutely devastating to Satan that you're coming in here and hearing the scriptures and being stirred up to good works so that you don't lose the plot and lose the battle. You're here right now. You're being inculcated with the very presence of God as you worship because he inhabits the praises of his people. And when we come together, then the demons shudder because they know that where there's unity, God commands a blessing and wins the city. And in the same way, he knows that if we do not dwell in unity, there's no blessing for the city. And he is allowed to come into that vacuum and destroy our cities. You're part of Isaiah 61. You're restoring the generations and the desolations. You're breaking off familiar spirits that have been passed down from, from great-grandpa to grandpa to dad and on and on and on on both sides. And the enemy's been so happy to go, oh, I've been establishing this one. I've been working on this one for 600 years. And you get to be called and come back and stand in the gap and say, it stops here and it goes both ways. That's what you're called to. And God is saying, listen, Paul is exhorting us. He's saying, I want you to stand up and I want you to understand you have an enemy. I want you to understand something right now, church. Oh, I'd never say it like that, but I kind of liked it. <laughs> apathy is a spirit. I'm going to say it again. Apathy is a spirit. That feeling of it doesn't matter what I do is a lie from the enemy's mouth. And God has called you to be a light and to be salt. And it's not passive, it's active. I, I heard Dallas Willard say something recently and I loved it. The kingdom is not opposed to effort, only earning. I'll say it again because some of you didn't get it. The kingdom is not opposed to effort, only earning. Grace is not opposed to effort, only earning. You can't earn grace. You can't earn stuff in the kingdom. You've inherited all of that. But it absolutely takes effort because we're called to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. You, you see that? We, we, we wield a sword. We carry a shield. We put on a helmet. We strap on the breastplate of righteousness. We gird up our loins, old school King James, with the belt of truth. And then we advance. Do you see this? 
We are not a passive, apathetic people. We are an active, loving people. We are a people who continually to destroy, we continue to destroy the works of the devil through the very simple yet profound steps of loving one another and loving God with all of our heart and engaging with the poor and engaging in power and prayer. Do you see this? And this is what we're called to. But the enemy wants us to passively sit back. Just a little more Hulu. Just a touch more Netflix. These are just my sins. (laughs) He wants us to be tired. He wants us to be sick because he hates us. Do you see that? So our strength is in his might. Finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. You and I won't naturally do this. We will supernaturally do this. It is natural for you to look around and go, there's two billion believers. There's almost six billion that don't yet believe. Well, that sounds like a lot of work. Right? It's easy to look around and go, man, this place is so broken. How many legislators do we have? I feel like I go to bed and they write like nine more bills of legislation in one night. I can't even keep up. We just barely recall one thing and we're on to the next thing. Do you ever, does anybody else get overwhelmed? I'm just like, what is this? I feel like there's just, in here, you, you, no? Okay, you guys just stopped even paying attention. I understand. But we need the power of his might so that we continue to engage with loving him with all of our heart and being engaged in every sphere that we're called to. Are you, are you seeing this? And so how do we do that? Well, first of all, <laughs> We get the joy of knowing that we can put on Christ. That's the first thing, is we actually put on Christ. So let me catch this. Let me, let me read this to you. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. You know, one of the most profound things that we do that actually validates the message of Christ is that we continue together as the body of Christ, loving one another, breaking bread in each other's homes, even after we actually got to know each other. Like after the honeymoon wore off. You know what I'm saying? Like after we found out that your house smells funny. It's a profound thing that happens that as we continue to demonstrate the the glory of God by continuing on as a family, it actually destroys the enemy. We begin to invite our neighbors into those same things and they go, this is something different. You're not gathering just on what you agree about. You're gathering around this person who's Jesus Christ. He's certainly among you. But that only happens, we're only able to stand as we put Christ on. This is a supernatural part of it, okay? Are you seeing this? So when that starts to wear, (laughs) when those feelings wear off, the only thing that causes us to continue to move forward is to put on Christ. And this is how we begin to disarm the enemy. This is how we begin to overwhelm the enemy and stand against him in his power, in his might. So it's totally appropriate to understand that there are times when you don't feel like doing this. And it's in those times that you go, wait a minute, I'm in a battle, I have a real enemy. He's here to let me know that it's all about me. By the way, the enemy doesn't usually call you and say, like, come and serve me. What he says is, you need some you time. Like, you, you, you know what? You didn't sign up for all this. 
you need some you time. You need to look out for you. This is a toxic relationship, and you need to think about you right now. And we're like, oh, that sounds really good. I like me. <laughs> and God's saying, no, no, no. Put on Christ. Put on Christ right now. We spend a lot of time in this church talking about soul care. We spend a lot of time in this church talking about how much he loves you. So keep going and you'll get to hear a lot of that. But this message isn't about that. This message is about put on Christ. He will look out for your soul. Okay? Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Let's talk about these for a minute and, uh, and we'll wrap up with this. Okay, let's talk about what, what are some of these attributes of Christ that we put on? Because this is the thing. We're, when the, the armor that we put on is Christ himself. We're, let, me, you, let, me, let me let you know it's, it's legal. <laughs> it says that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. Jesus prayed, I want them to be in me and I want to be in them and I want you to, you remember John 17, anyone? It's like the most confusing Trinitarian prayer ever, but it's basically like, oh, we're all up in each other (laughs) and we're all in you, dad. Okay, so it's legal. Are you guys with me? So we're in Christ. And then he begins to lay this out, though. He says, as you're standing in this, I want you to use your imagination, and I want you to begin to think about how you're standing as an active, essentially, soldier against the enemy, which is principalities and powers in high places, the enemy of your soul. Not your neighbor, your enemy, okay? And he says, stand therefore, and he begins with, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Let's start with the belt. Having fastened the belt of truth, not blown to and fro by every new theory, thought, and trend, but stable and steady, supported and confident in his truth. That we take the passions. You guys know that, you guys know that as uh, science has progressed, that they found that we, we actually have like memory in our hearts and in our minds, and even in our stomachs. Did you know that? Do you know you actually have, you have the ability, and when you think of a certain thought, like right now, think of like when grandma died. I know that's mean, but think about it. Did you feel it? Did you feel that in your stomach? Did you feel that? Why? Because you are connected. Those are your, the King James Version, which I grew up with, talks about your bowels of compassion. And they're not talking about your bowels. They're talking about this, they're talking about that you're feeling this compassion that's within your, within your, your emotional self, your passions. And, and Paul would say, take, take those things, take those passions and gird them up in truth. Now, are you still going to feel things? Of course, but they're standing, your passions, your emotions, the things that come at you are confidently wrapped in the truth. Amen. So when they come, you can go, okay, you know what? That feels pretty intense. But what is true? Jesus, what is true? Jesus, you're the way, the truth, and the life. How are you? What do you have to say about this? What do you have to say about this current moment? Are you guys with me? So you don't have to be tossed to and fro. You don't have to be not confident. You can be confident in him. You can be confident in the person of Jesus Christ who who you are wrapped in. Are you with that? And then he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, he who made Christ, 
I'm sorry, let me try again. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. In other words, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are literally in Christ Jesus because of what he's done. Your breastplate of righteousness is Christ. And you are in Christ. And because you're in Christ, you're the righteousness of God on earth. Wow. Right? That's what you're wrapping your heart in. And it, and it does a couple of things. One, when the enemy looks at you, he goes, Christ! Thank you, one person. <laughs> this happened in first service and I thought, these guys are going to be with me. And I even queued it up a little different. Anyway, it's not taking his name in vain. Literally, you are in Christ. And here's the second thing is when you look in the mirror, then you go, I'm in Christ. And you remind yourself, I am in Christ. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What, what protects my heart from the wickedness and the apathy and the, and, the, and the swift current of this culture is the righteousness of Christ. I remember who I am because I'm wrapped in him. And it's not because I'm making it up. It's not because of how I feel. It's not because of a current temptation or anything else. It's because of what he did and who he is. And now I remember. And that's what protects me. Amen? Amen. As, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. First of all, I just want to say this. You and I are going somewhere. All right? We're marching forward. This, this, this speaks to the fact that we're, we're not carrying our own message. We're not carrying our own agenda. We're carrying the good news of the kingdom, and we're marching forward with it. We're not just standing around barefoot. I wonder when it'll come. Who knows? You, are, you got shoes on, and you are marching forward with it, advancing the kingdom of peace, the good news of peace. I think it's interesting to note that the advancement of his kingdom is peace. Isn't that cool? The gospel of peace. That it's not a bloody revolution, but a kingdom of peace that was brought on by a bloody revolution that was carried out on the cross that Jesus endured. Isn't it cool that our message, in, in the message of the kingdom, blood is behind us, not in front of us. When we march forward, we march forward with the king of peace because he already endured the violence. He hasn't called us to go overthrow governments at the tip of the sword. Are you with me? In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of, the God, word of God. I love that the shield is faith. I love that he doesn't leave us without protection. It's okay. We need to be protected. We need to feel protected. God is not sending you out there and being like, well, just whatever comes, just deal with it. No, he gives us a shield of faith. It's interesting because in the day that Paul wrote this, Cupid and Eros were both prominent deities of lust and desire. And they, were, they would express that lust or desire hitting you with a flaming arrow. They would hit you with the flaming arrow. So that was, that's how you knew, like, ooh, Cupid must have got you because you're like burning with love for that person now, right? And he's saying, you have a shield of faith to quench all the fiery flaming arrows of the enemy when they come at you. 
You know who you belong to. And even when you're going through those seasons where you don't know why you're going through what you're going through, you can still stand in the faith and say, I know enough about him and I know how this ends that I can hold on to my shield of faith until I understand why this particular moment's going down. Amen? But you're still protected. Are you guys with me? Shield of faith. The helmet of salvation. You know, it's vital to realize we have to protect our mind. We've been given the mind of Christ. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. We, we cover our heads, as it were, from the myths and philosophies and trends of our day by remembering the salvation of Christ. He has saved us from something and unto something. It's okay to just reject certain things when they come. It's just like it pops in and you're like, you know, no. I don't even have to try that on for size. I don't have to spend any time on it. Just let it bounce off your helmet of salvation. It's like, does this thought in any way even begin to jive with Christ who was crucified? And if it doesn't, stop thinking about it. Helmet of salvation. Maybe that's a new thing we can just start saying. When a thought comes, you're just like, whatever, just, just say that. Helmet of salvation. This kind of feels good, you know? And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword gives us a weapon of attack, and this is vital. For many of us, we underestimate the power of the sword of the Spirit. And the thing we have to understand is the enemy knows the Word really well. So it's great if you know a couple of scriptures. You need to know more than two. This, these scriptures are filled with the glory and the power and the revelation of Jesus Christ. And what we're doing here right now helps us that we're able to use that sword well. As I said, during the times of American slavery, these scriptures were used by Christians on the side of the enemy to perpetuate more slavery. Who do you think thought of that idea? But there were those that used it skillfully and understood it just like Christ who abolished slavery and overthrew the philosophies and the teachings of the enemy. We too must skillfully use the scriptures, which is why we need to continue to grow and continue to wash our minds with the water of the word and continue to understand the context and, and the way that these scriptures work. So when the enemy does come, we don't spend a bunch of time arguing with him on every point, which by the way, you will lose that battle because he's masterful. Because when he's arguing with you, he just starts walking down the mountain slowly and you're like, you come back here, I'll get you. Next thing you know, you're like in the mud somewhere. What you do is you say, it is written. Love God with all your heart, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. One of, the, one of the, my favorite scriptures when I was young was that all things are lawful and not all things are expedient. I got a lot of miles out of that scripture before I realized that there's a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to death. Are you guys with me? We have, to, we have to grab a hold of that sword and use the promises and the word of God to defeat the enemy in our lives. And that's not hyperbole. It's that you know that, and when these things come, that you're able to say, my God will work in the midst of all things for the good of those that love him or are called according to his glory. When you're in the midst of thinking, I don't even know if I'm saved right now, then you can say, you know what, enemy? First of all, that's not my thought. That's ridiculous. But here's what the scripture does say. It is written, he's faithful to complete the good work that he began in me until we together come into the fullness of the maturity of Christ. And you're like, I think I'm gonna be okay. If God's the one that started it and he's the one that's gonna finish it, I don't think I'm big enough to ruin it. Are you with me? So we have a sword, take up your sword and use it. 
And lastly, pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. I don't know how your prayer game is going, but prayer is awesome. And I want to encourage you, pray the Psalms. It, it says, I love this, praying at all times with all prayer. It's not just one. You can pray in the spirit. You can pray in English. You can pray in pig Latin. You can pray laments. You can pray the Psalms. You can pray in praise. You can sing your prayers. You can do breath prayers. You can pray out of the book of common prayer. You can pray other people's prayers. You've got to pray. Why? Because we are actually fighting a battle, and when we pray, God moves. A whole lot of us actually have stopped praying. Aside from, well, I would say this. I would say this. I bet you're all praying. But a whole lot of us only pray one way. And here's an invitation. We get to pray all prayers. Amen? And as we continue, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And then he sends Tychicus, but we don't need to read about Tychicus. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who would put you on who would love one another fiercely and loyally, submitting to one another. And God, that we would resist the enemy in every form that he comes consistently, Lord, by being in you, following with you, and praying in all ways. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.